I'm excited to share with you our guest minister this morning. You know, it is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult to find a, a, a youthful, uh, not that your pastor's not youthful, but uh, to find a youthful speaker under age 40, let alone to find a, a sharp, articulate, dynamic, gifted communicator under age 30. My wife and I had an argument about this. I won because uh, I kept saying he's 27. She, she said, no, no, I, I think he's, he's, he's got kids. He's got a family. He's a little, little bit. I said, no, I think. And I was right. Amen. Our speaker this morning is 27 years of age. He comes from Lakeland, Florida. He's an alumnus like me from Southeastern University. Uh, we met uh, in the Holy Land, literally in God's country struck up a friendship I said you've got to come and speak at my church put your hands together give a real good lakeside welcome to Jeremiah Johnson amen thank you, thank you. good morning I want to thank you so much Dr. Phil for having me it's an honor a privilege uh, like he said Jeremiah Johnson uh, father pastored a church in Indianapolis, Indiana for about 20 years, was uh, very blessed to grow up in the things of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember when I was nine years old, uh, the first time the Lord began to use me prophetically. By the time I was 12, I was preaching full-time down at Lighthouse Mission in Indianapolis, and uh, just uh, a book author, I've just written another book that Charisma House will be publishing here within several months and just feel very blessed to have so many mothers and fathers that saw the gifts so young and created a, a space for it. And I have my father here with me today and I'm uh, so grateful to have him here. I graduated from Southeastern, I was working at, at an Assemblies of, of God Church, I got hired at 18 years old. I was preaching every Wednesday, one Sunday a month, and launched a college ministry with several hundred students. So um, I'm not here to brag on me, I'm here to brag on God. And he has uh, just been uh, faithful, planted a church uh, in Lakeland um, about four years ago, a couple hundred people really going after the things of God and began to travel around the nation and in different parts of the world about three years ago. And um, literally all over, I kind of do crazy kamikaze type trips from up in Canada and Texas and Ohio and Indiana and California and uh, I'm just excited about what God is doing how many people are excited I'm, uh, I'm excited I know I know I know sometimes you know we, we see dry bones but God sees an army amen and there's an army that is rising in America I want to preach a message to you this morning called the righteous remnant and I believe that God is after a righteous remnant in the earth. Uh, the church was never created to be a subculture for the world. Um, the very word church, it literally means called out ones, ecclesia. And I, I, I always tell young adults I'm more focused on holiness than being a hipster. I don't care how many tattoos you have, is the word of God written upon your heart? And uh, one thing that you'll find out about me is I'm just a straight shooter. Um, I preach to a generation who believes they can habitually and continually live in sin and think that they're going to heaven. I want to tell you that's not true. That's not biblical. That's not God's way. And uh, I want to call us higher. And so I, I get a lot of offense from young people and a lot of hearty amens from old people. So, uh, you know, however... How, however, I, I hit you this morning, hallelujah. Um, I've got a bunch of stuff on the back table. Products have changed my life, CDs, tapes, books. Um, there's a book that I wrote last year called Chronicles of the Unknown Dreamer. Several words and dreams have been published out of this book in major magazines. President Obama, Hillary Clinton, the war in the Middle East. There's prophecy that's being fulfilled through our eyes. And it was one of those books that people thought, yeah, whatever. But as literally things are coming to pass, I have people that order hundreds of copies because they, they want to get this book. Who can I give this to for free? Right here. And I have a, uh, another resource here. 
God bless you. I have another resource here. It's called the Prayers of the Saints. Now, I love old Pentecostal praying ladies. Anybody else love old travailing Pentecostal women? Thank God for them. Thank God for them. One of the things that the Lord spoke to me coming here was that he was going to answer the prayers of the intercessors in this church. So I, hallelujah. So I get together with three old ladies every week, about 75 years and up, and we pray and we shout and we travail. And uh, this series I did, it's called The Prayers of the Saints. It says, the body of Christ is experiencing an incredible shift in the realm of corporate intercession. The days of three old ladies travailing in the back room while the rest of the church goes on with a business as usual mentality is over. The Holy Spirit is awakening believers, young and old, across the earth to their glorious heavenly calling as ministers and priests unto the Lord. My main message to this young, young generation is we have got to get in the prayer room. We have got to seek the face of God and not leave until he answers our prayers. So I love, I bless the older generations, but we're in trouble with these young generations. I just cannot tell you enough. I think a lot of people are out of touch with the deception and the compromise that so many young people are living in. And we as parents and, and older generations need to challenge not only ourselves, but young people to get into the place of prayer. So who's a young person I can give to this that wants to pray? How about this guy right here? Come on, come on, come get it. You just bow your heads with me and just open up your hands to the Lord. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come this morning to anoint the preaching of the word, to release a spirit of prayer and prophecy. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, we thank you that your word says that in the last days you will pour out your spirit. So God, I just cry out on behalf of this fellowship this morning. God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your spirit in this place. Lord, that you would intervene. Lord, even in this city, God, I just prophesy over this region of Michigan, Lord, that breakthrough is theirs. Lord, that they will not be intimidated in the days ahead. Lord, but they will be ones that will build like Nehemiah. Father, I thank you that you're restoring, that you're rebuilding in this region. And I thank you for Pastor Chris. And I thank you for the anointing of Nehemiah that rests upon him. I prophesy to you that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And the days ahead will not be full of discouragement or despair, but they will be full of joy. And Lord, we just call forth the workers, the provision, Lord, that would help rebuild the walls. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that they will not be intimidated by city officials. Lord, or any hindrance, Lord, we just thank you. I just see in the spirit that God is paving the way even now. He is opening doors that only he can open and shutting ones that he can shut. So, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that the anointing of Nehemiah would rest upon Pastor Chris. Lord, and this fellowship would rally together. I just see the Lord using you as a rallying point, as a catalyst for change. I see you ministering to other ministers that are dry and weary, that believe that the latter years of their ministry, they'll retire. And I just feel like the Lord is saying that I'm going to use you to call ministers out of what they think is retirement into the very best years of their ministry. And the Lord is going to use you even traveling some, even in this region, confronting and pouring your life into older ministers that are ready to throw the towel in. God is going to use you to restore the brokenhearted. So Father, we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. We need the fire of God. I'm not even kidding when I say I was in the hotel last night just crying, and I'm crying because this. Traveling ministry is so humbling because if the Lord doesn't show up, I'm just putting out words in the atmosphere, and it won't help anybody. Just preaching another sermon, it's not going to help anybody. But when the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God begins to move in our midst, things change. 
talking with my dad about even, you know, in Brownsville, you would go, go up to the, the, the church there and the sign would say, and then God came. 40,000 souls and counting. You know, it's amazing. We have our plans, we have our boxes, and then God comes. I don't know what box you have him in this morning. It doesn't matter whether you like Brownsville or not. It's just an example. But what I know is that God can do in a radical encounter what we cannot do just going about things in our own strength. Amen. Amen. One of my burdens that I carry that I want to kind of begin to unpack this morning is I'm convinced that what the earth needs right now are uncompromised voices of truth that are going to lead the wandering church into the promised land. I am absolutely convinced that we do not need to water down the gospel message one bit. We need to preach it and we need to preach it with power and authority and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And I'm serious when I say that I work with so many young adults specifically across the country who were up at the altar one day and the next day were drunk at a bar. I think that there are things that older generations have taken for granted where they thought that we have the foundation of the word, we understand things, and it's just not so in this culture. And I believe that one of the things that we have to have, I want to talk a little bit about revival because I'm living for revival. And what I mean by that is I'm believing God to save souls, to heal bodies, for the message of repentance to go forth that people would turn away from their sin. But I'm going to read you something this morning that's important as we get into this message message and it's this every past revival in Christian history has been based upon a foundational cultural agreement concerning right and wrong sin and morality when society departed from that foundation everyone knew it as a result people could respond to great preaching feel guilt over their sin turn to God and repent Revival grew and spread on the basis of repentance and the forgiveness that flows from the cross and the blood, in large part because everyone understood the baseline or the plumb line from which they had departed and could now return to. I want to tell you today that no such cultural agreement now exists. Even in much of the contemporary church, we have lost our sense of repentance or even our sin. And I'm going to tell you that without a sense of sin, repentance cannot come. And without repentance, revival in the fullest sense will never happen. I want to paint a very sobering picture for you. What the the spirit of the age, what the culture is trying to do right now is it's trying to erase a baseline of right and wrong. Who agrees with that? We're trying to move from moral absolutism to moral relativism. In other words, what's good for me is good for me. What's good for you is good for you. But I can't really define what sin is. And in order for revival, in order for a heaven-sent shaking in America to take place, especially in the church, you and I have to hold the line. There has to be a plumb line. There has to be a baseline that you and I... So one of the things that I want to just ask you is, is your life being used like a highlighter to highlight the baseline, or is the enemy using your life to be an eraser? Everything that's happening. The Hill song with Brian Houston, and they're asking him, you know, can you be a homosexual and Christian? I mean, there's so many issues, even years ago, that weren't issues that are now issues that people are confused about. And I believe God is looking for a righteous remnant in the earth that is going to hold the baseline. And even though the days are dire, God always has an answer. And even as the world is compromised, I want to tell you this morning, God is looking for a people of covenant. 
You know, one of the things that I believe we've lost in the Christian culture is actually celebrating righteousness and holiness. You know, it just seemed like some, not, not too long ago, that we would actually celebrate two virgins down at the altar that waited to get married. You know what's happening today? It's almost like the people living holy and righteous are made to feel ashamed. Are you hearing me this morning? See, it's almost like we've let this stuff in the church and instead of celebrating righteousness, celebrating holiness because God loves it and it makes him happy, we have this shifting, this twisting that's going on right now. And though the world is living in compromise, he is looking for a righteous remnant that are gonna live in covenant with him. Now, before you get all legalistic on me, trust me when I say the righteous and holy living that I'm talking about is fueled from a love relationship with Jesus. I don't live holy and righteous because I have to. I actually do it because I want to. Because I've encountered the love of Jesus and I've met the Father's heart and why would I ever want to do anything that hurt his heart? He's looking for a holy and a righteous remnant. Psalm 11:7. it says God is righteous and he loves righteousness. Psalm 89:14. righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne of God. Loving truth and loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound, O Lord. They walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. How about Proverbs 16, 12? It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established in righteousness. Isaiah 59, 19, one of my favorites. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. Beloved, who's the standard? You and I. You and I, living in Christ, abiding in holiness and righteousness and what's true, living in covenant and not compromise is what the world needs most. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 14. I wanna begin reading in verse 16 and I wanna connect some dots with us this morning. And I want to encourage us to celebrate righteousness. I want to encourage us to celebrate holy living. We do not need to look down upon or feel ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just longing for cultures and churches that celebrate this stuff. That you celebrate those virgins that went down to the altar, that made a prophetic statement to a generation that said, purity still exists in this culture. Beloved, we have thrown away so much of this stuff because we don't think it exists anymore. And I'm telling you, it does. And this is the very thing that God is looking for. Let me make some points here. Romans 14, I want to begin reading in verse 16. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now where I come from, the kingdom of God in a lot of circles that I travel in, the kingdom of God is limited to power and presence. A lot of the, the guys that I travel with, we talk about the kingdom of God like it's an outward thing, which I believe it is. I believe the kingdom of God can be demonstrated in miracles. It can be demonstrated in outward things. But we have to consider Romans 14 here, which is saying the kingdom of God is just not miracles and power. The kingdom of God is righteous 
righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you see an individual that's walking in righteousness, joy, and peace, you're witnessing the manifestation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in your midst when people are walking in a way that's righteous. And here's what I want you to remember. Please hear me. There's an interconnectedness between righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to tell you. I believe that there's a lack of peace and joy in the body of Christ because we've folded on a standard of righteousness. When my life is in alignment with the Word of God and I experience it inwardly, it produces peace, which brings about joy in my life. And I'm going to tell you one of the number, because I minister everywhere now, one of the number one reasons why the devil has stolen peace and joy from so many people is because there's no standard of righteousness. Depression, discouragement. This stuff is plaguing everywhere that I go to like a flood. So many bound up, so many depressed. Why? The standard of righteousness, the plumb line, the baseline is being removed. But where there are individuals and there are ministries that would celebrate and love righteousness and holiness, they're seriously the most joyful, most peace-loving people I've ever met in my entire life. That's where the kingdom of God is. Interconnectedness. When we fold on the standard of righteousness, we forfeit our peace and our joy. For the sake of time this morning and just wanting a chance to minister to some of you, I want to look at two cultures in the scriptures that did not care about what I'm talking about this morning. I want to talk about two cultures that said, yeah, whatever, buddy, standard of righteousness, holiness, that doesn't matter. I want to look at two of these cultures and what took place because they forfeited the standard of righteousness. Who wants to take a look? Because there are warning signs throughout the scriptures. I'm going to give you two examples, and I really believe a third example could be the culture that we're living in. But I want to get us to the place where we have a sober understanding of the days we're living in, but we don't leave here without feeling hopeful. Because I'm going to tell you, God always has an answer. And God's answer in this hour, I'm telling you, is a righteous remnant in the earth. It's a company of uncompromised voices of truth that are going to lead the wandering church into the promised land. Turn to Genesis chapter 9 with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. I want to look at Noah and his sons. One of the burdens that I had praying into this trip was for fathers here at Lakeside Assembly. I believe that there's a fatherly anointing on this church. I believe that God wants to use fathers in this church to be a catalyst for breakthrough for your children. If you're a father in here, raise your hand. Hallelujah. I believe that God wants to specifically challenge many of us this morning. Genesis chapter 9, I want to begin reading in verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Look at verse 24 and 25. When Noah awoke from his wine... He knew what his youngest son had done to him. 
So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Who's familiar with Noah and Noah's ark? Probably a story that we all hear so frequently. I don't believe a lot of us, though, are aware of this story of Noah and his sons. And again, this morning, we're talking about holding up a standard of righteousness. Even in our homes, I think it's so important, even outside of church, fathers and mothers, that the type of environment that we, we give permission for our children to live under. And we, we have here, it says, Then Noah began farming, verse 20, and planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. So here you had a father named Noah who decided to get drunk. He decided not to hold a standard of righteousness. And this is what I want to get across to you this morning. Noah refusing to uphold a standard of righteousness for his sons gave them permission to see something they never should have seen had Noah stayed sober. Noah refusing to hold up a standard of righteousness, him deciding to get drunk, hear me, he granted permission to his son Ham to see something he never should have seen had Noah stayed sober. I wonder how many of us this morning, let's take pornography for example, were introduced to pornography because someone in our home introduced it to us because they refused to hold up a standard of righteousness. I wonder how many of us, because this standard is being erased, are giving permission to the next generation to get introduced to something that they never should have seen had we held a standard of righteousness. But I'm going to tell you, if we took a survey in here, the numbers would be staggering. You know, this really hits at home hard with me. Being a father being a husband, what am I giving permission for my children to view? You know, one of the shirts that I hate these days is a shirt that Nike just came out with. Nike, one of their best-selling shirts right now, the front of it says, not a role model. Can I just tell you, you're a role model whether you want to be one or not. Whether you're a dad in here and you could care less, can I just tell you that your life is going to be a representation of what you're going to give permission for your children to do? And I'm here this morning, beloved, on behalf of a young generation that's so lost, that's so confused. And when you begin to hear the stories, it always goes back to, I was introduced to this in my home, at the party, at the venue, because mom and dad refused to hold a standard of righteousness. I was given permission to see something I never should have seen had they walked out righteousness. This, this message is heavy because it's full of responsibility. I know that's not a word us young people like. But Noah, here we go. We get drunk. He gave permission for, for his son to see something he never should have seen. Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done. So he said to him, cursed be Ham. Who can tell me what it really says? doesn't say cursed be the guy who saw his father naked it says cursed be his son so I want to let that sink in here's what happened if you're taking notes just take this down with you 
the compromise of one generation becomes the captivity of the next. The compromise of one generation, Ham, became the captivity of his son, Canaan. What we compromise on, those that come under us will be in captivity. But on the flip side, those of us who live for breakthrough, you know what the next generation's gonna get? Freedom. The compromise of one generation becomes the captivity of another. Cursed be Canaan. So I began to think in my mind over a, ser- a series of period of months about, so we have Canaan cursed. But if you fast forward several hundred years, we know Canaan becomes what? The promised land. It becomes the place of promise. So I've been asking myself all along, how did the place that was cursed become a place of promise? Enter stage right, a man of covenant named Abraham. Do you remember what his original name was? Maybe God just didn't give Abraham a new name. Maybe he gave him back what Ham forfeited. Because he was a man of covenant. I believe men and women of covenant have the ability to reverse a curse upon a generation. And I believe no matter how bad the situation is, no matter how much the spirit of perversion has infiltrated, I was literally, Barna just came out with a survey. They interviewed Christian men on the issue of pornography. Literally less than 3% of Christian men that attend church claimed that they don't watch pornography. 38% of Christian men attending church admitted to watching it at least once a week. I mean, it's just fresh. I I can give you the, the site. Not a role model, standard of righteousness, whatever. Or we can be men and women of covenant. Beloved, there are some of us here this morning that are living a compromised life, that are addicted to various things. Your children are suffering for it now. Can I just tell you it's not too late? Can I just tell you that God wants to release the gift of repentance in this room and you can come up today and receive freedom and deliverance and walk out of here not only a changed person but having a changed family? I really see in the spirit right now and even in this room that many parents need to go home and begin to talk out what is it that I'm allowing my children to be exposed to? What am I giving permission for them to be introduced to because I won't quite frankly turn off the TV? Where am I not going to take them because they don't need to be exposed to that type of environment? God's answer here, cursed be Canaan, as he found a man of covenant, Abram. And I want to just submit this to you. Okay, this is a prophetic interpretation. I believe that maybe God just didn't give Abram a new name, Abraham. I believe he could have given back to Abraham what Ham forfeited. God always has an answer. Men and women of covenant. The last culture that I want to take a look at is found in 1 Kings 16. Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel is such a nasty character in the Bible, she's still hanging out in the book of Revelation. I've always wondered how a serpent turned into a dragon in the book of Revelation. You know why? Because we've been feeding them. Just a joke. 
1 Kings 16. And just hear my heart for a second. Beloved, preaching this is not easy for me. You know, you want to be that guy that gets to stand up in front of people and give them some rah-rah message and leave here encouraged and, you know, your best Friday and, you know, hope you have a good life and you're going to win all the battles. And, but we're in a fight today. God is putting me up to this. God is coming to me and he's challenging me. Because as a conference speaker, as a guest, I'm way more interested long term than just being a short term blessing. I believe that people are just looking for a drive through meal and God wants to release a generation mandate. I believe that people just want to be stroked but God wants to provoke. I believe people just want to get touched at a service. Beloved, I want to get changed. I want God to so radically touch my life that my children and their children's children will never be the same. And while I'm at it, I'm going to celebrate righteousness and holiness, not because the culture celebrates it, but the God that I serve celebrates it. And I have chosen to live for his pleasure and his pleasure alone. We need to be faithful in this hour. First, first Kings 16, 29. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Verse 31. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him there. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Can we just agree that what you don't want as your tagline, and either do I, is the most evil king that ever lived? Nobody wants that following their name. But somehow this guy Ahab, he gets this tagline of he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all those who were before him. You know, it's interesting traveling around. A lot of people don't even think sin is a big deal. I'm in relationship with several young churches. I mean, you're talking five to eight hundred young adults who don't even purposely mention sin in a sermon. Because we're going to offend people and they won't come back. I was talking with this pastor about the issue of sin. And about God hating sin and loving righteousness. And I just said to him, I said, you know what? God hates sin so much that he would rather see his son die than sin live. If that would put things in perspective for you. God hated sin so much that he would rather see his son die on the cross than see the power of sin live. That's how much he hates it. That's how much through the blood of Jesus he's come to destroy it and he's called you and I to live a victorious life over sin. If you're underlining, you have a pen Verse 31, it says, And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing. Underline the word trivial. The word trivial means of little value or importance. It became of little value or importance for Ahab to live in sin. Again, hear me. We're talking about the plumb line, the baseline, a standard of righteousness. Ahab says it doesn't matter. Sin is a trivial thing. It doesn't matter. And look at the next verse here. Then he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. A trivial approach to sin produces unrighteous affections. 
we become attracted to people and things that we would have never been attracted to had we considered sin a big deal. Tell me, there, the, the Holy Spirit's flowing here this morning. Don't miss this. A trivial approach to sin, it doesn't matter, it's no big deal, it produces unrighteous affections. And when we let unrighteous affections govern our lives, we become attracted to people and things that we were never meant to be attracted to. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you, had Ahab considered sin a big deal, he would have never married Jezebel. And here we are before our computers. Porn, not a big deal. Here we are married. You see the woman down the road. Adultery, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Beloved, when it becomes a big deal, that's when you're going to get free. I keep preaching this message all over the country. When you're truly repentant of your sin, you will not care who knows. Which do we love more, freedom or staying in our seat and being in bondage because we're afraid to come up to the altar and get free? So unrighteous affections, a trivial approach produces unrighteous affections. Ahab was never meant to be attracted to Jezebel, but because he considered sin a trivial thing, it became the gateway or the door to perversion. Where there is perversion, there is no hatred of sin. So if you look here in verse 32, they erect an altar to Baal in the house of Baal. And Ahab, verse 33, he makes an Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings who were before him. And look at verse 34. In his days, Hiel the Bethlehite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So Ahab and Jezebel get together and they basically have a government of perversion. They have a government that does not place value on sin being wrong. And then what happens underneath their government? You have a dad, Hiel, who they know the prophecy, Joshua says, the guy that rebuilds Jericho, it's going to cost him his firstborn and his lastborn. The question begs us, what kind of man would build something that he knew would cost him the next generation? A perverted man. What kind of fathers are we, beloved? What kind of mothers are we? What type of government are you setting up in your home? What type of government are you setting up in your business? What type of government are we setting up in our churches? So God's answer to Noah and his sons was a man of covenant, Abraham, I believe God is raising up men and women of covenant in this nation that are not going to live in compromise. And what was God's answer to Ahab and Jezebel? A prophet named Elijah. Look at it. 17.1 Enter stage right. Now Elijah the Tishbite who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. You know, it's the spirit of Elijah that returns fathers to sons and sons to fathers. Malachi 4, 5 and 6. God's answer to Ahab and Jezebel who sought it fit to create a culture of perversion where they didn't value the baseline. They thought sin wasn't a big deal. God sent them a man named Elijah, 
a family man, a man that had sons. He had a company of prophets, a true father in the faith. And one of the things is, as I've studied this and looked into it, it says Elijah the Tishbite. This area, Tishba, it means captivity. So Elijah came out of captivity and he was of the settlers of Gilead, which means wild, mountainous place. So track with me for a second. Elijah comes out of captivity, and by the time God chooses to use him prophetically, he's from a wild, mountainous place. And here Elijah steps onto the scene from a wild, mountainous place. For who can ascend the hill of the Lord but they with clean hands and a pure heart? And he starts inviting the next generation up a wild mountain and says, it's time to repent of your sins. Beloved, I'm going to tell you, some of us don't need another 10-step program. We need a trek up a wild mountain. Come up higher. Come up higher. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you've been. I don't know whether you would consider yourself a man or woman of compromise or a man or woman of covenant. I don't know if there are fathers in this room that are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit that it's time for a change. It's time for a change in the marriage. It's time for a change in the family. It's time for a change of what I value and what I don't value. But I'm going to tell you the opportunity in America has never been greater. Beloved, in a day and age where the baseline, the standard of morality is trying to be erased, God is looking for a righteous remnant that will say yes to him no matter the cost. Will you bow your heads with me? Can I get somebody up on keys or piano if there's somebody up? I just want to pray this morning for some of us. believe that God wants to minister to some people, but I just really believe that God wants to deal with this issue here. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here this morning to come and bring conviction to come and reveal truth in the inward parts. Father, I thank you for the fatherly anointing upon Lakeside Assembly of God. Father, I thank you that you're raising up fathers in this place with the spirit of Elijah that are going to reunite, Lord, that are going to bring unity to sons and daughters. If you're a father in here this morning and you know it's time for a change, if you're here this morning and there are things that you've given permission for sons and daughters to see, to be exposed to, and you want to make a stand today as one of the righteous remnant and you want to partner with the Lord. Beloved, you're fighting for your children. You're fighting for the next generation. I just want you to stand right where you're at. Just fathers in particular, if you're hearing the call today, I want you to stand. Thank you. Who else? compromise of one generation becomes the captivity of the next I want to say it again 
some men in this room right now you're fighting for your sons and daughters that little thing you do in the closet in secret will be exposed just feel like the Lord is saying to someone your wife already knows about it it's time to come clean Lord, remove any pride, any blinders. Lord, any of us that think that we're farther along than we really are. Thank you, Lord. Father, I cry out to you today. Lord, in agreement and on behalf of all these fathers, God, standing in this room. Lord, and if there is one thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this young adult culture needs, these teenagers, it's fathers. Lord, I believe fathers could be the greatest need of the hour. Men that would stop living like boys and become men. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would anoint God, that you would encourage. God, that you would bless these men that are standing here this morning. And God, I just pray that you would mark their lives. God, even today, Lord, that they would leave here, Lord, never the same. God, I ask that you would release the spirit of repentance, God, in this room. Lord, that you would give them grace to make radical changes. God, I believe you for the restoration of their marriages. God, I believe you that you're restoring sons and daughters. Father, I pray that the spirit of the Father, Lord, the anointing upon Lakeside Assembly would grow and would multiply. God, I thank you for this family church. Lord, I thank you even for the men's ministry. I just prophesy, I hear from heaven there's women's ministry here but there's more for the men's ministry there's a mighty women's ministry at this church but I feel like the Lord is even saying today a mighty movement of men must arise out of this house and they must take the land that I've granted them as an inheritance there must be a giving back from generation to generation. There must be an inheritance. You must leave a blessing to your children and not a curse. Your life and your decisions, they matter to me, says the Lord. Oh God. God, raise up weak men from this church, God. Lord, your power can only be perfected in our weakness. God, raise up weak, humble men from Lakeside Assembly. Oh, God. Jesus there's power in the name of Jesus just say his name where you're at if you need him this morning Jesus God we need a righteous remnant in America God, there's so much sin in your church. Lord, the divorce rates are just as high. Oh, God, we need you in America, God. We must have men and women of covenant, God. Oh, Lord, the promises that you gave Abraham because of his faithfulness, God. Lord, the promises that you want to release in this room, God, if we'll only align our lives with yours. 
Hear the Lord saying to someone, you think I've blessed you now while you yet live in compromise. How much more will I bless you as a person of covenant? God, I just cry out for the lost sons and daughters represented here, God. Lord, I know that there are parents here, Lord, that feel condemned. They feel guilty, God. They didn't know any better. Lord, and their heart is broken over their children addicted to drugs on their third marriage. God, and they, they hear this as condemnation. God, I just pray that they would hear it as encouragement. Lord, that you're doing a new thing. God, I just cry out for the sons and daughters in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. God, would you apprehend them? God, would you arrest them, God? Would you release your divine messengers? Lord, I cry out for my brother Samuel today, God. So many that grew up in the church, Lord, they don't know you. <laughs> oh God, for every son or daughter here, Lord, I know that there are youth and young adults here this morning that don't know you. Lord, they're sleeping with their girlfriend, Lord, their boyfriend. Lord, they're so lost. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break the power of perversion. Oh, God. I just feel led if you are here this morning and you have a lost son or daughter and you want to cry out to them, just come on down to the altar. If you want to cry out to the Lord for them, just want you to join me down here. I'll cry with you. <laughs> oh, God. If you need to repent of your sin this morning, if you're living a compromised lifestyle, Come down to the altar. Don't leave here without allowing God to touch you and convict you. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Lord, raise up the Hannah's God. Lord, that would petition you day and night. Just begin to call out their names up here. Just name them by name. You name them for a reason. Lord, we call them forth today, Lord. God, we call them by name. Lord, we just command Satan to give them back. Oh, Lord, we just pray for 
The anointing breaks the yoke, Lord. <laughs> Anoint our prayers this morning, God. I just invite you, if you're here and you're sitting, just begin to call upon the name of the Lord for someone that you know that's not serving Him.